Okay, so we're in John's Gospel. And um, <coughs> today at chapter 15, um, we're going to continue thinking about life in the Spirit. We started last week with um, chapter 14 on this kind of little bit of the journey uh, where we uh, considered what Jesus had to say about sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us to be like a replacement Jesus. To all intents and purposes, the Holy Spirit is Jesus to us. He brings the personality and the gifts and the, uh, the power of Jesus into our lives. That's his role. That's his job. That's why he is sent. And then in chapter 15, um, Jesus takes just kind of a little bit of a, a detour in all of this that you might not expect. If you were talking about life in the Spirit, you would think that once he'd talked about the Spirit coming, he'd be onto something powerful about, you know, um, healing or uh, deliverance or those sorts of things and, and um, pushing that whole kind of Holy Spirit agenda. But instead, he does something um, a little bit different, which is actually really fundamental to understanding life in the Spirit or life in Christ, whichever way you want to describe that, um, the two things for, for in terms of this morning's message are completely interchangeable. So if I say life in Christ, I mean life in the Spirit. And if I say life in the Spirit, guess what? I mean life in Christ, yes. So um, let me read to you John chapter 15 from verse 1. Uh, it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Just before I get into my notes here, um, anybody this morning doesn't need a bit of joy in their life? Anybody this morning who, you know, you've got plenty of joy in your life. You've got Carol. I mean, I, you know, I don't care how happy you are or how good life is at the minute. There's always room for a bit more joy, isn't there? There's always room for a bit more joy. And, and in this... Uh, um, dialogue here from Jesus he closes this kind of little section with those words that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full that the joy of Jesus may be living in us and because of that and because of uh, the way all of that works and the fruitfulness of that in our lives our joy becomes full or in some translations I think it says complete that your joy will become complete that actually you will be 
a joy-filled and joyful person. That's not a bad thing, is it? The world could do with a few more joy-filled and joyful people, don't you think? Okay. Well, let me tell you, that's supposed to be you. That people is you. And uh, that's what Jesus is wanting us to see this morning. This whole passage is about abiding. It's about our connectivity with Jesus. He starts out by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So already you're getting this um, imagery, this agricultural imagery that, um, you know, vines are, I, I don't know if you've ever visited a vineyard, but vines are interesting things, particularly old vineyards where you've got mature vines and whatever. And uh, they pay a lot of attention to dressing the vines properly and looking after them and nurturing them so that you continually get a good crop of good quality grapes. Um, it's a lot of work. And uh, Jesus is saying he is the vine, but the Father, Father God, is the vine dresser. He's the one who takes care of all of that business. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I am not Mr. Greenfingers uh, by any stretch of the imagination and it's always a bit of a challenge talking about horticultural things when you have Peter Edmonds sitting in front of you who, who moved, uh, didn't know what I was talking about this morning, who moved right from the back, right to the front so that as I'm discussing horticulture, the resident expert on horticulture is sitting right in front of me. Thank you, my friend. The Lord bless you. But this is my understanding. That, I mean, I have a hedge in, in our back garden. We have a hedge around the, the, the side of our garden. And it doesn't matter how many times I cut it back. Guess what? It always grows again. And um, the, part of the action of actually cutting it back makes it more fruitful. You know, when you, when you cut something, when you prune something, when you cut it back, and sometimes, you know, I, I, sometimes I think to myself, I am only going to cut this hedge once this summer. And so I get really, you know, lethal with the hedge trimmer. And I take it right back until you get to the point where Sue will say to me, that's never going to grow back. That's, you've killed that. That is never going to grow back. But guess what? It still grows back. That thing still keeps coming. The green leaves still keep appearing. And, you know, within a matter of weeks, we've got a big bushy hedge again. And, you know, I'm out looking for the, the hedge trimmer. But that's what happens when you prune things. That's what happens when you trim things. You actually make them more fruitful. And Jesus is saying this, that actually, you know, if, you, if you're not fruitful, then, you know, if, we, if, if there's a part of this vine, if there's something that is kind of connected here and still, in, in that sense, drawing life and drawing energy from the vine, but is not actually doing anything with that life and that energy, well, we'll just strip that bit off altogether and throw it on the rubbish heap. More about that later. Okay, But the stuff that is bearing fruit, the stuff that is actually producing something, we need to trim that and prune it and, and take care of it and cut it, you know, cut the, the stuff away from it that stops it from being fruitful so that it becomes more fruitful. And that's the journey of discipleship. Hello? 
That's the journey of discipleship. That God has us on a journey where through our uh, interactions and our engagement with him, through our reading of his word, through our prayer life, through our teaching programs, and through all of the things that we engage with in as, as part of our life as Christians and as part of the life of the church, all of these things are designed so that they will strip away from you the stuff that is non-productive so that you become more fruitful. Hello. And sometimes that's painful. Don't you think? Okay, if you don't think that's painful, you've clearly never been through it. Um, but when, when, things that, uh, when things start getting stripped away from you, things sometimes, uh, particularly things that you have um, built your life around, but they've not been good for you, God comes in and he starts to strip those things away from you. Actually... That can be really painful. That can be um, a very vulnerable time because everything starts to change. Everything looks different and the things that you used to lean on, they're not there anymore. But the idea is that you stop leaning on those things and you start leaning on God and drawing closer to Him. That, That as the... As the gardener, as the Father God comes and trims the branches of the vine, that actually we look to him and we we get ourselves even more grafted into Jesus, more grafted into the Holy Spirit, so that the source of our life is him and not whatever it is that we were kind of leaning on before that that was um, not good for us. Pruning is necessary. And uh, don't think that it only happens once. Because over the passage of time, other things start to grow in there, don't they? Other stuff starts to happen. There are bits of us that kind of start to sprout out and whatever, but they're not particularly fruitful. They're not particularly helpful. Uh, that's, just, um, that's just life, isn't it? That's just the culture that we live in, the world that we live in. Uh, it, it just throws those sorts of things at us all the time. And some of those things stick. And every now and again, the father has to come in with his pruning, whatever it is. What do you call them? Clippers? Secateurs, secateurs. The father has to come in with his secateurs and do some pruning and strip some of those things away from us and, and get us back to the place where we're not cluttered up with all of that stuff, but we can be fruitful and, and more fruitful for his purposes and for his kingdom. <coughs> and you know, it, it really is important for us to remember that God is the perfect gardener that the father knows exactly what he's doing and that when we are being pruned when we are going through that uncomfortable process of having some things stripped away in our lives God is doing it the father is doing it because he loves us because he wants the best for us because he wants us to get to that place where we are full of joy where we are happy bunnies Because life is what it's supposed to be and we are being what God created us to be. And we're doing the things that created us to do. And we're seeing success in it and we're seeing fruitfulness in it. And that's that's the journey that God has got us on. And that's why he comes to prune us because that's what he wants for us. And so it's important to remember that he does it because he loves us. It's not done because he's vindictive and he sees you having a bit of fun with something and thinks, all right, I'm going to stop that. He'll only strip from you the things that are not good from you, the things that stop you from being fruitful, because he loves you. Our Father is the gardener, and our Father loves us. 
And, you know, the, the success um, of uh, a well-cultured uh, or well-tended uh, vineyard lies in the hands of the person doing the uh, pruning, the secateuring. The fruitfulness, uh, the strength, the beauty of a vineyard lies in the hands of the one doing the pruning. And so we need to trust our lives to him so that he can prune them. We need to trust our lives to him so that he can strip away from us the stuff that needs stripping away and know that he will do the best possible job of it and that he will do it because he loves us. Are you with me? The branches are stripped back for greater fruitfulness and God's plan in our discipleship is to strip away all the rubbish in our lives. Uh, Thankfully he doesn't do it all at once uh, because that would probably be a little too devastating for most of us but he does it a bit at a time and he takes great care over it so that we can become everything that he's designed us to be. That's good news, isn't it? (coughs) He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus makes it quite clear there's a lot of abiding in, in, uh, in these verses, isn't there? That word abide crops up a lot. Most of us only use the word abide negatively these days, don't we? We talk about abiding, we say, I can't abide so and so. We only we use it negatively, don't we? In other words, what we're saying when, when we say, I can't abide somebody, is we don't want anything to do with them. We don't, we'd rather they were over there and we were over here and the space stayed space. Yeah? Um, and uh, what Jesus is presenting actually is the positive view of abiding. What, he's, what, what we're talking about is getting close, is getting stuck in, is being connected, is a, is a flow of life and energy um, coming into us because of the way we are connected as branches to the vine. He says that on your own, you cannot do anything. So if you're having problems with your ego this morning, just remind yourself... That on your own, you can do nothing. It's in black and white in your Bible. Jesus said it. So if you don't like it, go and argue with him. But on our own, we can do nothing. We, we are not... So, you know, the gifts that we have, where do you think they came from? You know, there are, there are a lot of people who are not Christians, who don't know God, who are not, who, you know, have not got that connection with God, who, you know, you look at them and you think they're very gifted people and they, they seem very capable people and all sorts of great stuff. But where do you think those gifts come from? They're put there by God. And we all have gifts and abilities that are put there by God. We are born with them because God planned them for us before the beginning of time. Hello? We all have them. They're all there. But then it takes a work of God, it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to draw those things out of us fully so that we become everything that God has created us to be. And the reality is this, no matter how brilliant and how wonderful people in the world might seem, people in the church actually ought to be doing better. 
People in the church ought to be doing better because we are living connected to the vine. Because the life of the Spirit comes through the vine into the branches and feeds us. And uh, the Father who loves us prunes us and shapes us. And we should be becoming something which is far better than anything the world has to offer. Is that challenging enough for you? And it's through this process of being pruned and and developed uh, that that happens. But the important thing to see here is that we need to have that connectivity to the vine. As branches, we need to be totally grafted in to the vine in order that all of the life that comes from the vine flows into us. We need to be prepared for the pruning and everything as well. But, But Jesus says if we abide in him, then he abides in us and we bear much fruit. We have to make sure that our connection to the vine is solid. Are you with me? Because without that connection, we are rendered pretty much useless. The key to being fruitful, the key to doing well in the purposes of God, and therefore well in the life that God intends you to have, is that connectivity to him that connectivity to Jesus, that connectivity through the Holy Spirit, that, you know, through the vine, that we are grafted in and connected with him. The word abide, uh, in Greek, it's a Greek word, meno, which means to stay uh, in a given place or a given state or stay in expectancy to continue, to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, to stand. So abiding uh, is not just about us plugging into the vine and, and uh, you know, drawing all the goodness from it, but actually it's, it's quite a bit bigger picture than that, that we are um, required, if we're going to stay truly connected to the vine, obviously there are the personal disciplines in terms of uh, prayer, you know, our conversations with God, um, our reading of his word, you know, um, Jesus says, doesn't he, a little bit further on about, you know, the word dwelling in us, the word, we need to abide in the word and the word abide in us, the same way we need to have that connectivity with it. We need to allow God to speak to us day by day through his word. That's one of the ways we stay connected. You know, we need to build and enhance our relationship with God through prayer, through having conversations with him. You know, that's how we stay connected. But it's also about being where God wants you to be. I hope you all feel this morning, certainly in terms of the church, that you are where God wants you to be. But if that's true, then you have a bigger role to play than walking in and out on a Sunday. Because if you are going to be pruned and discipled and grow into everything that God has created you to be, there's much more than just what happens on a Sunday morning that you need to engage with. So it's about being in the right place. It's about being in the right state. So that again, that has to do with discipleship. It has to do with um, making sure that we uh, do the things that God has called us to do. That we walk in the light. That there is no darkness in us. That we don't hide in the darkness, that we do extend and receive forgiveness, that we do make sure that our slate is clean with God and that our slate is clean with one another, that we behave the way we should behave, 
that we are good and godly people, that we make every effort to live like that. That's the state that we should be in, and that's the state that we should be endeavouring to maintain. It has to do with relationships, staying close to God in a non-geographical sense, that, you know, how do you maintain a relationship? So I've already talked about reading and, and, and uh, reading the word and praying, but, you know, um, we need to do that regularly. It's no good just kind of every time you're feeling a bit down, I'll go and turn to my Bible or, you know, if I've got some trouble looming on the horizon, I'll suddenly start praying. You know, if, if I managed my relationship with Sue like that, that the only time that I spoke to her was when I needed her to do something for me, it would not be a very good relationship. Are you with me? And our relationship with God is, is just the same. That actually, if our relationship with God consists of us just coming to him and asking him to do stuff for us, that, that is not a good relationship. Because relationships need more than that. Love requires more than that from us. That if we're going to love God and we're going to experience more fully his love, there has to be a relationship that goes beyond the shopping list. Are you with me? Okay, you're very quiet this morning. Wave if you're still awake. Okay, that's good. Paul wasn't waving. Just nudging. Our relationship needs to go beyond that. We need, we need to you know, think about how relationships work and actually plow ourselves a little more into that relationship with God. That, you know, coming to worship is a great thing, but if it only happens on a Sunday, there's something wrong with that. You know, worship should be permeating the whole of our lives. There should be times, you know, every day where we draw aside to actually worship God and tell him how great he is and think about the great things that he's done for us and give thanks, you know, not bringing a shopping list. Think of it as, you know, uh, if, uh, if you're married, you know, um, life always seems to be much better when you buy your wife flowers. I don't know why that is. I'm not sure how that works. But, you know, life always seems better if you buy your wife flowers. Well, how about giving God some flowers? I don't mean, you know, let's all go down to, you know, simply flowers and order a bouquet. But actually, let's give God offering an offering which is fragrant, which is pretty, which is beautiful, which has something of value. Something that says, I love you and I don't require anything back for this. Here is my offering to you. Here is something that I want to give you just to bless you and to put a smile on your face. That's how you get the best out of a relationship, isn't it? That you give without expecting to receive. That you, that you give the person what you know they appreciate, what they enjoy. And so we need to grow in our understanding of God and be giving him what we know he appreciates, what we know he enjoys, putting a smile on his face. And then we will start to get deeper into relationship with him. It's about relationship. And I like in that word abide in the, in the Greek word, that whole thing about expectation, staying in a place of expectation. What are you expecting God to do this week in your life, through your life? What are you expecting this week? Have you even thought about it? 
Have you any idea of the myriad of incredibly wonderful and brilliant things God could do in you and through you through the next seven days? And this whole thing about abiding, being connected, should keep us in a place of expectation where we're constantly expecting um, the, the fruitfulness of our relationship. So we're expecting to live in a place of blessing with God because we are you know, blessing Him, because we are connected, because we're building that relationship. But also that God will be doing things in us and through us to further His purposes and to bring Him glory. And I know, you know, for some people, the thought that immediately goes across their minds is, well, it's all right for you, Dave. You're the pastor of the church. You get to come to church every day. You get to speak to people about faith and all sorts of things. And and it's just, it's easy for you. I want to tell you, you are where God has placed you. If you've been obedient, at any rate, if you've been obedient to God, then you are where God has placed you. And God has placed you there for a reason. And he is calling you in that place to be fruitful. And we should each be living our lives expectant that any second now, God is going to do something spectacular. That any second now, the Holy Spirit will just start doing something and using us, using the gifts that he's given us, using the abilities that he's given us, the insights that he's given us, using us to, to bring about something spectacular which brings glory to Jesus. Any second now, that could happen. Any second. I just want to pray for Phil. Phil, I, I pray that as you go uh, this week to, is it the hospital you're going to, to Queens? I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you would come back with good report. I want to pray that as the consultants examine you and as they do whatever tests they need to do and as they look at your condition, that actually by the time you get to that hospital, things will have turned around and you will come back with a smile on your face, with joy in your heart, because you will know that the living God has touched your life and done something spectacular in you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. That felt good. But, you know, listen. Why not? What are you expecting God to do? Are you expecting that you will walk through all these bruised, broken, sick, disabled people in your life and God is not going to use you to touch anybody or to do anything? Where does that idea come from? Our our interconnectivity with the vine should be producing fruitfulness in our lives where as we walk and live in expectation God does spectacular things all around us that's the way it's supposed to be and we are called to steadfastly dwell in his presence to endure whatever the cost is and to make our stand that's all in that word abide Jesus carries on. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, let me tell you, um, first of all, straight away, that um, if you are saved, you are saved by the grace of God. And the grace of God requires nothing from you other than that you put your faith in Jesus, which is how you got saved in the first place. 
And most of us, you know, in fact, probably all of us, that faith was given to us as a gift from the Holy Spirit so that we could believe and so that we could um, be saved, so that we could come into that relationship with God. Jesus is not now saying that if you're not fruitful, you're going to hell and you're going to be burned up. Hello? That is not what he's saying. Okay, I've heard people preach that, and actually that's rubbish. That actually goes against the grain of everything else Jesus ever said about salvation and faith. And that's not what he's saying here. But what he is saying is this, that you might be enjoying and appreciating your connectivity to the vine. You might be enjoying sucking some of the life of God out of that vine. You might be enjoying some of the flow of the Holy Spirit fruit through your life. But if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, it's going to be very short-lived because you will not be fruitful. And if there is no fruit in your life, you are no flipping use to the kingdom. Hello? If there is no fruit in your life, you are no use to the kingdom of God. And if you stay no use, if you stay, uh, you know, not producing any fruit, ultimately, at some point, the gardener, the great gardener will come and he will grab a hold of your branch and he will rip it out of the vine and he will throw it on one side because it's flipping useless. You hear what I'm saying? Now, you might not like that. You might think that a little bit, you know, why is God getting in my face like this? But this is what Jesus is saying. That you are connected to the vine so that you will be fruitful. And if you are not producing fruit, you are no use to the gardener. Hello? If you are not producing fruit, you are no use to the gardener. And ultimately, if you stay in that place, the gardener will come and he will just disconnect you. He'll pull you off. He'll throw you on the rubbish heap. You'll still be saved. You'll still get to heaven. Okay? You'll still have an eternity with Jesus. But you will not be able to spend the rest of your life on this earth drawing from God and doing nothing with it. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's pretty hard. That's pretty in your face. But I've got to tell you, the day for lazy Christians is over. The day for people who claim to have faith but do nothing with it and do nothing about it are over. We have brothers and sisters around the world who are being beheaded for their faith. And if you think that's on the other end of the world and that doesn't matter, I want to tell you, you need to wake up. Because sooner or later, this stuff is going to be on our doorstep. We're going to have to deal with it. There is already anti-Christian feeling in the UK. There are already, there's already stuff going off which is trying to um, minimalize the work of the church and push us into a corner and keep us there. And if we don't make a stand, we will be going the same way. If you don't rise up and be what God has called you to be, we will be going the same way. I've read reports over this last couple of weeks um, of an Ofsted inspection of a school where... It was a faith school. It was a Christian school. And they were asking six-year-old kids their opinions about same-sex marriages. And they were doing it very clearly with the intention that they were looking for some way to undermine this faith school. And say, you're not doing your job. You're not being inclusive. You're not teaching people properly. Because, you know, the kids don't understand these issues. And when you know, they do understand them, they've got the wrong idea. Now, I want to tell you, that is that has nothing to do with a good education. That is just plain anti-Christian. And that is not an isolated incident, and it's not just isolated to things like Ofsted reports. This is going on in this country. 
When you get people of the stature of Prince Charles, who goodness knows where he is in terms of his relationship with God, but when you get people like him saying that Christians in the UK are coming under persecution, you know that there is something wrong. You know that there is something going on. And if we do not start rising up and be fruitful and be what we say we are and do what it says on the tin, then actually we deserve ripping out of the branch and throwing onto the fire. Because God did not save you so that you could just live a happy, easy life with your legs crossed and your arms folded and just pop in on a Sunday, have a really lovely time of worship, experience the presence of God and then go home again. That's not what faith is about. And if you are saved, let me tell you, you can keep your salvation. You can have that. But if you want to experience and keep experiencing the life of God, you need to do something more than just sit in your seat. You need to rise up and become what God is calling you to be and start being fruitful. Now, being fruitful for each of us will look very different. I am not you and you are not me. Fruitfulness for you uh, will not mean standing in the pulpit and discipling people through teaching. Fruitfulness for you might look entirely different. Some of us, you know, God will give opportunities to share the gospel and to draw people in and bring them to church. Some of us, it might not be that simple. Some of us, it might be that God has put you in a place where you need to be showing some acts of kindness to people so that in the end they ask you about it and say, why are you doing this? The same way people come in here and say, why are you doing this for free? Why do you care about this community? What is it about this place? Well, maybe that's what God wants you to be in your workplace, in your whatever environment you spend your weekdays in. But we all, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, we all are called to be fruitful. We all are called to get on this road of discipleship, to subject ourselves to whatever pruning the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, so that we become more and more fruitful. And if we're not prepared to do that, then we're wasting a seat. Because that is the call of God on my life and it's the call of God on your life and you need, as I need, to rise up and engage with that and become fruitful. And Jesus says, if you consistently refuse to do that, if you are going to try and stay connected to this vine but continually fail to produce fruit, ultimately I will tear that branch off and just throw it in the fire. I will discard it because actually it's no use. It's no use to man or God and it's heading for the rubbish tip. It's harsh, it's hard, but it's the truth. And it's the challenge that we face. I can't imagine um, what it must be like for, you know, to be put in an orange jumpsuit, paraded in front of a camera along a beach, and then have somebody cut my head off simply because I'm a Christian. I can't imagine what it must be like for their families and friends, the people who are close to them. I can't imagine what it must be like for their kids. And that's not the worst of it. There are worse things going on than that. 
But here are people who are so committed to their faith, who are so prepared and, and ready to be connected to that vine and be fruitful for that vine, that even in the face of death, they're forgiving the people who are about to kill them and they're still proclaiming Jesus as Lord. That is incredible. That, that is amazingly wonderful. And you and I need to get inspired by that. I mean, you know, we need to be saying things to uh, people who can make a difference and tell them to make a difference and stop some of this stuff. But we should be inspired by that sort of faith. We should let that faith get to us and stir something in us that brings us to a better place in our relationship with God, in our connectivity to the vine, in our service of God. The norm for a branch on a vine is that it produces fruit. That is normal. And if it doesn't produce fruit, it is normal to remove it. And really, and let me say this and please hear this, to take any other position when you think of what Jesus has done for you is just selfish. To just take all of that wonderful stuff, to just to be a beneficiary of such an incredible sacrifice, to have your eternity secured by such a horrendous death and not want to do something in response to that that will at least show that you're grateful that's just plain selfish now I don't think any of us really are selfish but I do think we need challenging to move from where we are to a better place in serving God and his purposes and being fruitful for the kingdom of God and we are surrounded by opportunities to do that Jesus carries on and now this is where it gets better these are the nicer bits now so it's a good place to finish up Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, there is a context to that. So if you go home today and pray that uh, God will make you the next 150, pound, 150 million pound winner of the euro millions lottery the likelihood is God will not do that because in its context what Jesus is saying is that if you are abiding in me and I am abiding in you that when you ask for something you'll get it what does that mean? that means that if I am, if I am abiding in him my focus is on what he wants and therefore when I'm asking him for stuff I'll be asking for stuff that he wants and he'll take considerable pleasure in giving it. Hello? That we live our lives surrounded by people who are broken and hurting and wounded and isolated and disenfranchised, who are sick, who are disabled. That we live our lives surrounded by this stuff. And what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that when you go out into all of that stuff and you start ministering in my name and you ask me to do something, guess what? I'm going to come and do it. So have a bit of faith and start asking. Are you with me? The whole point of this abiding is that we understand what the will and purpose of God is. And then when we ask him for stuff, when we come to pray, we can pray in line with that with confidence because we know that God will do something. 
I've had a few wobbly moments in the journey with this building when I've wondered what God is up to and, you know, asked him the question as to whether he's brought us this far just to teach us a lesson, you know, and next week the building will go on the market and we'll all be looking for somewhere else. I've had moments when I've asked those questions, but I want to tell you I have decided to follow Jesus and I have decided to trust him and where he follow, where he leads, I'm going to follow. And my faith is that this will be ours, that we will be able to stay here, that we'll be able to do all of the things that we're doing now and much more besides, and that we will be able to be a force for good in this community where lives are changed because they're met with the love of God, where broken lives are put back together, where people who were wounded get healed, where people who are sick get healed, where people who are oppressed get delivered. Is this not the gospel? Is this not why God has put us here and called us together? And so my faith is that we will, we will get through all of this. We will find some way of doing all of this. You know, and, and every time I make a statement of faith like that, God seems to do something more to progress that agenda. And things keep happening. Things that can only be God at work. The favor of God on what we're doing. God moving people who we haven't even met yet to be on our side and to help us in this cause. It's incredible. But why does that happen? Because we're following the will and the purposes of God and we're determined to finish the journey. Are we not? And then, Jesus, just wrapping it up here, says this, that the Father is glorified by our fruitfulness. So if you want to give glory to God, if you really want God to get the glory, if that's what's in your heart, then be fruitful. Because God is glorified by our fruitfulness. And that's why, you know, Jesus, at the end of those wonderful verses, says, says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I'm finishing now, I really am finishing now, but I just want you to really understand this. That actually, if you want to be happy, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want to be a joyful person, the only place that you can find that is in abiding in him and him abiding in you and you being fruitful. That is the only place that you will find that. And the world and a lot of people will tell you something different. But if you want to be genuinely happy, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want to be a joyful person, the only place you are going to find that is in Jesus, in abiding in him and having him abide in you. And he says that as you are obedient to him and as you are fruitful, that you will be filled with his joy and your joy will be full, complete. In other words, you won't have room for any more joy because there is so much joy. We used to sing a song, I've got joy, 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 deep down in my heart. And we always used to say, it's so deep down in your heart that it hasn't made it to your face yet. If somebody is full of joy, you know it, don't you? You can see it. You want to be around those people because you catch something from it, you know? And that's the promise of Jesus, that if we will pursue this, if we will uh, abide in him, and if we will have him abide in us, and if we will be obedient, and if we will be fruitful, 
that our lives will be filled with so much joy that you cannot get any more joy in. And that's the promise. Let's stand, I'm going to pray. Let me encourage you today to be challenged by those words of Jesus. Don't see it as a threat, see it as an invitation. Jesus invites you to get better connected with him. Jesus invites you to get in the flow of his Holy Spirit through the vine into the branches. Jesus invites you to come and to be fruitful and to have your life filled with joy.